this morning, and I trust that if you don't, you can uh, look on with someone nearby, perhaps 2 Corinthians chapter 12, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, that's uh, in the New Testament, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter number 12, and it's always a joy to be with you in church. Thanks for praying for us while we were gone. <clears throat> we had a great, uh, great time, and, and uh, the wonderful thing about it is we brought back all the kids that we took with us, and uh, <clears throat> we tried to lose a couple of them, and it didn't work. <clears throat> and uh, they just uh, they just happen to find their way back every time. I don't understand it. One of the most enjoyable things about flying with young people who've never flown before is to see their reactions when things happen on the flight that they weren't expecting, like uh, like air air turbulence. And uh, <laughs> that's all. I won't call any names to protect the guilty, but uh, it is enjoyable to say the least. Uh, but uh, kids are kids are a great blessing. Speaking of kids, a, a Sunday school teacher was teaching her class about the difference between right and wrong. She was giving different examples about this is right, this is wrong, this this behavior is right, this behavior is wrong. And she said, okay, children, she said, let's take another example. She said, if, if I were to get into a man's pocket and take out his billfold and, and all of his money and take all of his money, what would I be? And without any, any hesitation, Johnny raises his hand and with a confident smile replies, you'd be his wife. <laughs> so uh, anyway, out of the mouth of babes, amen. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 12, if you'll stand with me please for the reading of God's word, Second Corinthians chapter 12, and uh, appreciate you being in church this morning. We'll start in verse number 7, the Bible says in Second Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 7, this is the Apostle Paul speaking, writing, inspired by the Holy Spirit, he said, And lest I should be exalted above measure, through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh. Note that, that uh, term there, a thorn in the flesh, <clears throat> the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing, talking about the thorn in the flesh, I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me. <clears throat> and he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. There's so much to preach from in that passage and uh, so many wonderful truths there. But I want to preach here this morning and this is a little bit of a play on words here, but I want to preach to you on this subject, the point of the thorn. The point of the thorn, and let's pray together. Father, I pray that you'd help us in these next few moments to learn something. I pray that you'd grow us a little bit today. Uh, a lot of folks would uh, have something in their life right now that they would consider a thorn in the flesh, something that they would rather do without, something that perhaps even they have gone to the Lord and said to you, would you please take it away? But Father, I pray that you'd help us this morning to see the point of thorns in our lives. Help us to have a better understanding of why they're there, why you allow some thorns into our, our flesh, as it were, our, our lives. And I pray that you teach us. I pray that Jesus would be glorified today. 
I pray that sinners would be converted, and I pray that the saints would be edified. We ask it in Jesus' precious name and for his sake. Amen. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. The life of the Apostle Paul was so unique and so illustrative, I should say, of how the grace of God can do anything with anybody. Uh, If you think about the fact that all of us are sinners, and think about the fact that the great God of heaven would want to use any of us, well, that's a miracle in and of itself. Uh, I love the song, Only a Sinner Saved by Grace. This is my story. To God be the glory. I am only a sinner saved by grace. And of course, the life of the Apostle Paul illustrates this so beautifully because regardless of your background, there's something in the life of Paul that all of us can relate to. Every single one of us can relate to something in the life of the Apostle Paul. Let me give you some examples. Uh, On on one hand, Paul was a well-educated Jew and well-educated in the Jewish religion. And on the other hand, he was a brute persecutor and murderer. You have both ends of the spectrum. On one hand, he was polished in the social graces of his day. And on the other hand, he had to endure the hard life of shipwrecks, imprisonment, and danger. On one hand, he was loved by so many who he was allowed to influence, while at the same time he was hated by those who rejected the things that he preached. In his second letter to the church at Corinth, Paul gives us an interesting look into his personal life that I want to preach about this morning. And we read some of this a little bit ago. But Paul's Christian experience began... On the road to Damascus, many of you know the story. Paul was riding on his horse along with an entourage of some of his, at the time we would call them henchmen, uh, people that were with him, some of his buddies who were on their way to Damascus from Jerusalem. And they had letters from the chief priests and all the, uh, the, the religious leaders of his day. And they were on their way to, Jerusalem, to uh, Damascus, rather, and they were there, <clears throat> on the way there, to persecute those who were Christians. Uh, They were going to find those who profess faith in Christ and especially those who were trying to uh, win others to Christ. And it was their intent to go and to persecute them, to to put them in prison perhaps, to beat them. In some cases, uh, Paul uh, was responsible for the death of some people who claimed uh, salvation. In fact, if you read uh, in Acts uh, earlier in the book of Acts, you find that Uh, That Paul, whose name before he was saved was Saul of Tarsus, he actually held the coats of the men who stoned Stephen, one of those first deacons. He was stoned to death, and Paul, the Bible says, was consenting unto Stephen's death. He was a murderer. He was a persecutor of Christians. And, uh, and, but we see that on that road to Damascus that day in Acts chapter 9, Paul was riding on his horse and the Bible says a light shined out of heaven and knocked him off of his horse. And uh, though no one else in Paul's entourage could see it, Paul, uh, then called Saul, looked up into heaven, looked up at the bright, where the bright light was coming from out of the sky, and Paul had a conversation with Jesus Christ himself. Jesus revealed himself personally to Paul that day on the road to Damascus, and something miraculous happened in Saul's life. He got saved. He wasn't the same old Saul of Tarsus from that point. He was a new man. He was different. The things I used to do, I don't do them anymore. There's been a great change, the songwriter said, since I've been born again. And if if anyone's life illustrated that particular truth, it was that of Saul of Tarsus, or we know him as the Apostle Paul. From that point forward, Paul's life was put on a fast track, propelled by the grace of God. 
Think about it for just a few moments with me, if you will. As soon as Paul got saved, he was uh, discipled by a man named Ananias. He was received by the churches. By the way, they were petrified of him at first because they knew why he was coming. And, uh, but, uh, but God uh, somehow got word to them through uh, revelations to Ananias and others to say, Hey, it's okay. He's one of us now. He's a Christian now. He's a different man now. Uh, he, old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new in the life of the Apostle Paul. He was received by the churches. He was taught by the Spirit. He was trained and tutored by a man named Barnabas who took Paul on his first missionary journey sent out by the church at Antioch. And, uh, and he, he took not just one journey but uh, three or four different missionary journeys all across the known world at that time. We think about Paul as being one of the greatest soul winners who ever lived. Everywhere he went, he told people about Jesus of Nazareth. Everywhere he went, he told about the Messiah who had come, who had hung on a cross and had, had been buried and had uh, resurrected from the grave. And he, everywhere he went, he told people about that. By the way, that's a good idea. Everywhere we go to tell people about the risen Savior. Everywhere we go to tell people that there is hope. Everywhere we go to tell folks that Jesus Christ came to save sinners. Uh, what a wonderful thing. And we see Paul, after he would win people to Christ, he would take them under his wing as it were. He would disciple them and he would put groups of them together and form churches. He planted churches all over the known world, all over uh, Galatia and all over uh, Greece and all over uh, what, what is now Italy and so forth. And, and he just, he planted churches in, in, in many uh, cities and towns across the globe at that time. He was used by God to write 13 books of the Bible. 13 books. Uh, you look at your New Testament, there's 27 books in, uh, in your New Testament. 13 of them were penned uh, by this man that we know as the Apostle Paul. The man who used to be Saul of Tarsus. The man who used to be the murderer. The man who used to be the persecutor of Christians. Hey, let me tell you something. I don't care what you've done. God is more concerned about your future than he is your past. God is far more concerned about where you are and where you're headed than where you have been, my friend. And Paul illustrates that in his own, by his own testimony. But you, we see all kinds of wonderful things that God did in and for and through the Apostle Paul. But wait a minute. It's difficult to comprehend how much God used him. But in the middle of all those amazing things that God was doing in Paul's life, something happened that Paul was not expecting. In all of the church planting, in, in the middle of all the soul winning, in the middle of all the uh, uh, being the penman of, uh, of several of these, uh, of these letters to different churches and so forth, and all the, of all the wonderful things that Paul was doing by the grace of God, and by the way, it's God's grace that we do anything. But in the middle of all this, something happened in Paul's life that he didn't expect. And it was not a good thing, as, as far as Paul could see. We read a few moments ago in 2 Corinthians chapter number 12. Look with me at just one of those verses, verse number 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse number 7. The Bible says, Paul writing here, And lest I should be exalted above measure through the, through the abundance of the revelations. Notice what it says. There was given to me a thorn in the flesh. A thorn in the flesh. He goes on to say, the messenger of Satan to buffet me. Now, we're, we're good Baptists, and so some of you saw that B-U-F-F-E-T, and you thought that was buffet. That's after church, okay? 
All right. <laughs> but uh, yeah, as soon as you, I, I lost some of you right there. We came across the word buffet. You said, man, I'm really hungry. I could go for one of those buffets right now. But, but he, said, he said, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. Now, wait a minute. Things were going great. Everything was wonderful. People were being saved. Churches were being planted. The gospel was being preached in places where it had never been preached before. And then it happened. It happened. There was given to Paul a thorn in the flesh. Now, it's interesting. The Bible itself does not tell us exactly what that thorn in the flesh was. There's a lot of speculation amongst Bible scholars and theologians and commentary writers and so forth about just what was Paul's thorn in the flesh. And, and there's speculation such as, uh, well, it, uh, uh, it was something uh, about his eyesight. Uh, it may have been something, uh, some people think that it was a, a, a disorder with his vision. Some say it was a chronic bodily weakness and fatigue. Some think it was a reference to a repulsive appearance that Paul mentions at a different place in the scripture. We don't know what that thorn in the flesh was, but whatever it was, it bothered him. Whatever it was, in Paul's mind, it hindered him. And whatever it was, it kept him back from what he thought his potential was. It was his thorn in the flesh. Whatever it was, Paul refers to it as a messenger of Satan to buffet him. The question this morning is, why the thorn? Why did God let, let that happen in Paul's life? Now, you've heard this question. I've heard this question from many, many people. Why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? Every single one of us, we've either asked that question ourselves or we have fielded that question from someone else. Why is it that God would allow something like this to happen to a man like the Apostle Paul? He gave him a thorn. I mean, after all, look at what was being accomplished. Look at what God was using him to do. Look at the people being saved. Look at the churches being started. Look at all the people who were being helped. Why is it that God allowed this thorn in the flesh to afflict one of the greatest men who ever lived. Interesting, and we'll, we'll get to that in just a few moments, but what was the point of the thorn in Paul's life? He said in verse number 8, he said, For this thing I besought the Lord thrice or three times, that it might depart from me. Paul went to God and said, God, would you take it away? God, would you take it away? And God said to Paul, I'm not going to take it away, Paul. Did you hear that? I'm not going to take it away. Oh, by the way, God answered his prayer, but Paul didn't get the answer that he thought he was going to get. <laughs> Paul just figured, you know what, I'll take it, I'll take it to God. And, I'll, I'll, and by the way, you ought to take your problems to the Lord. The Bible tells us to do that. Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you, the Bible tells us in 2 Peter chapter 5. But understand something. Paul did get an answer, but it wasn't the answer he was looking for. Has that ever happened to you? Something bad happens in your life and you take it to the Lord and you didn't get the answer that you thought you were going to get. Paul said, for this thing, for this thorn, I besought the Lord, not once, not twice, but three times, God, uh, Paul said, I took it to God. God, would you take it away? God, I just know that I can serve you better if I didn't have to deal with this. I've said that to the Lord before. 
I've gone to God on occasion and said, God, I really, you, know, you, you, you try to, you try to uh, plead your case, so to speak. Now, Lord, you know, and by the way, he knows everything. <laughs> Isn't it amazing how we'll go to God and tell him what he knows? <laughs> but anyway, uh, now, God, you know that I could serve you a lot better if I didn't have to deal with this situation or with that sickness or with that heartache or with that problem. God, you know, if you just took that away, how much better I could serve you. Now, that's how I see things. And God doesn't mind us saying that to him, by the way. Because Paul did the same thing. He said, for this thing, I besought the Lord thrice. God, would you take it away? God, would you take it away? God, would you take it away? Now, wait a minute. That's the way we see it. Notice God's response to Paul in verse number 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient or enough. My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. God set Paul straight. He said, Paul, I'm not going to take away your thorn. Whatever it was, we know it was something to deal with his physical body because it's called a thorn in the flesh. Some kind of a physical ailment, whether it was his vision, whether it was his uh, uh, other ailments, uh, whether it was, uh, it was his appearance. Whatever it was, it was physical in nature. And God said to Paul, I will not take it away, but I'll do better than that. My grace is sufficient for you to handle whatever it is you're going through. Understand something. Sometimes God doesn't want to deliver you from problems. Sometimes God wants to see you through the problems. Because it helps you grow. It helps you grow. Now, why the thorn? What was the point, if you will, of the thorn? Like Paul, none of us would ever choose a thorn in the flesh. Thorns are painful. Thorns, though they be small, affect the entire body. However, God sees our thorns from a different perspective. And that's what you have to understand. God sees your thorn. God sees your ailment. God sees your circumstance that you see as a bad thing. And God sees it as a way for you to grow. Now, follow me this morning. He may not bring those thorns into our lives. Again, Paul said, this thorn in the flesh is the messenger of Satan to buffet me. God may not have necessarily ordained that thorn to come into Paul's life, but God allowed it to. He allowed it. And by the way, the good God of heaven knows what you can take and what you can't take. The good heavenly father that we all love and serve and adore. Hey, let me tell you something. I spoke with him this morning. And the good God of heaven will never allow you to be tempted or tested above that you're able. The word of God tells us. So, hey, if you're going, if you're in it, if you're going through it, the good God of heaven knows, hey, you can handle it. He has given you the grace to withstand whatever the point of the thorn is. Now. The message I want you to see this morning is the fact that Paul's thorn was not wasted. It wasn't wasted. Paul learned several points, if you will, from his thorn. The first thing I want you to see is this. The thorn taught Paul about pride. The thorn taught Paul about pride. In verse number 7, look at it with me, if you will. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse number 7. He said, unless I should be exalted... Above measure, through the abundance of the revelations. Huh, that's interesting. Lest I should be exalted, Paul said, 
because of all the wonderful things that God was doing in me and for me and through me. You understand something? Even in Christian service, we can become afflicted by this thing called pride. If we're not careful. Even in the doing of right, even in the going through the motions of serving the Lord, if we're not careful, we can become puffed up. We can become full of ourselves. We can get the idea that God can't make it without us. Can I, can I help all of us? God was doing pretty good before any of us came along. Amen. And he'll be doing okay when we're all gone. <laughs> hey, we need him. He doesn't need us to the, <laughs> to the extent that we need him. And Paul said, lest I should be exalted above measure, God allowed this thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan, to buffet me, to beat me up, to slap me around a little bit. To, uh, uh, to give me a hard time. Hey, he, he, uh, the thorn served as a useful purpose in Paul's life because it put him in a place of greater humility. Of greater humility. Who are you, Paul? You're the, <coughs> hey, you're the, hey, Paul, can I get you to sign my Bible? Nothing wrong with you having somebody sign your Bible, by the way. But uh, <coughs> to illustrate the point, hey, Paul, can you, uh, uh, man, you, you are the one and only Apostle Paul? I mean, you, uh, you started that church in Thessalonica, and that church in Philippi, and that church in Ephesus, and that church in Corinth, and that church in all those different towns around uh, Galatia, and then over into what is now uh, Greece, and then over in Rome. Paul, wow, man, what's it like to be used in such a mighty way? And, and Paul, the whole time, is thinking, well, I wish God would take away this thorn. Oh, God, I wish you would. God, would you please take this away? I could serve you so much better if I didn't have to deal with this pain with this suffering, with this trial, with this agony, with these circumstances. Paul learned humility. He learned humility. He may not bring them into our lives, but God sees what we are and who we are, and God allows things to help us. And in some cases, it helps us to serve him better. Hey, greater humility equals greater grace. Greater humility equals greater grace. The more God can keep me humble before him. What does the Bible say over the book of James? Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, and he will lift you up. You see, our problem is, <clears throat> even when God does something through us, and we don't give him the glory that, is, that he alone is deserving of, we become prideful. Prideful. And when we become prideful... Guess what? We forfeit the grace of God. I want you to see this. The thorn taught Paul about pride. Not only that, and here's where I want to spend a good deal of time. The thorn taught Paul about prayer. The thorn taught Paul about prayer. Look at verse number 8 with me, if you will. He said, for this thing I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me. Notice what he said. I besought the Lord. Paul did something that all of us ought to do when things happen in our life. By the way, good things, bad things, doesn't matter what it is, he took it to God. He took it to God. He took it to somebody who could do something about, hey, regardless of what God's response to Paul was about his thorn in the flesh, Paul did the right thing by taking it to the Lord in prayer. Oh, what needless pain we bear. Oh, what peace we often forfeit, the songwriter said. Oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Paul learned something about prayer. Don't miss it. He learned that God is more interested in changing you than he is interested in changing your circumstances. Now, don't miss this. Here's the gist of the message. God is more interested 
in changing you than he is in making sure he fulfills your wish list. That's what we do. We're like the kid who goes to the mall at Christmas time and wants to sit on Santa Claus's knee. Okay. Uh, yeah, I want this, and 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 I want this. That's not, that's not the way God operates. Now, God wants you to come to him. God wants you to bring your request to him. In fact, Jesus did say, ask what you will. Ask for anything. <clears throat> God doesn't mind you. God wants you to ask. God wants you to come to him in prayer. But God is more concerned about changing you than he is about changing your circumstances. You see, whatever it is that drives us to our knees in prayer is usable by God because God likes us to be on our knees. You understand, if, you're, if your life never had a wrinkle, if you never had a thorn... How many of us would pray? If we never had a bad day, if if all of our days were sunny and there were no clouds, if all of our days were were, uh, just as what we preferred and there were no storms in life and there were no down times, there were no tough times, would we ever pray? Now, hopefully we would, but God likes us to be on our knees. God likes us to be in a position where we depend upon him. Understand, we also have to understand that prayer is meant to get our will in tune with God's will. That's one of the main purposes of prayer that we often overlook. God is not simply interested in fulfilling your wish list of things that you want from him or things that are the way they are and you want them to change. God's not just interested in changing those things to fit your desires. No, no. God wants your will to be put in tune with his will. That's what prayer is all about. That's why Jesus said in the Garden of Gethsemane, Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. That's tough to pray, isn't it? We we preached a message on that just, uh, I believe, the Sunday uh, before Easter about getting your will and God's will in tune with each other. But understand something. we're, We're sometimes guilty of operating on feeling rather than earnestly seeking the will of God about a matter. Don't miss this. Paul's feeling was, you know, this thorn is not what I want. Nobody wants a thorn. I see Brother Curtis sitting over here. God bless you, Brother Roger. <clears throat> He's dealing with the circumstances now of, of going through life without the love of his life. Mrs. Curtis, who went to be with the Lord just two weeks ago. And now, <clears throat> if Brother Roger got what he wanted this morning, he'd say, God, I wouldn't have had you take her when you did. God, that wasn't my choice. God, I'm not feeling it. Hey, God, would you change that? God, why did you do that? God, why'd you allow that to happen? But wait a minute. God's answer is the same as his answer to Paul. My grace is sufficient. Paul, you don't understand it. Paul, you don't get it. Paul, you don't see why I did what I did. Uh, You know, Paul's feeling was this thorn is not what I want. This thorn is uncomfortable. I feel like this thorn is hindering my usefulness to the Lord. Hey, and by the way, I don't blame Paul for feeling that way. I would have too. (laughs) I told somebody the other day, I'm allergic to things. One of the things I'm allergic to is pain. (laughs) I'm highly allergic to pain. I don't like that. Nobody likes pain. Whether it's physical pain, whether it's emotional pain, whether it's pain coming from other problems and certain, nobody likes pain. But sometimes God knows that it's not 
how we feel, but it's got what God knows is best for us. Notice what he did. He besought the Lord thrice. Paul went to the Lord, not once, not twice, but three times. He prayed about it. I mean, he really prayed about it earnestly, and he gave it to the Lord. Now, let me ask you a question. When Paul took the matter to the Lord, did God change Paul's circumstances? No. No, he didn't. Did Paul change God's thorn? Did he take away the thorn from his physical being? No, he didn't take it away. But I tell you what he did do. He changed Paul's perspective about Paul's circumstances. And that's what God wants to do for you this morning. More than God wants to give you a life of ease, God wants to change your perspective about who he is and what he's trying to do in your life. Now, what we ought to do is just when we take, when we take something to God, rest in the fact that God in heaven knows what he's doing. And if God sees fit for me to go through it, then bless God, I have his grace. I have his power. I have his strength. God's not going to give you something that you can't handle, my friend. And I'm simply saying, <clears throat> Paul took the, took the thorn in the flesh, he took it to God, and he took it to him again, and he took it to him again, and he said, God, would you please take it away? And God said, no, Paul, I've got something better for you than a problem-free life. I've got my grace. I've got my grace. He changed Paul's viewpoint. He changed Paul's perspective of his circumstances. So the thorn, it taught Paul about prayer. The thorn, it taught Paul about, uh, uh, about pride. And then I want you to see the last thing this morning. The thorn taught Paul about God's power. The thorn taught Paul about God's power. Look with me in verse number 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse number 9. And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee. Notice what it says. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Hmm. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Now, you'll notice something. If you, <clears throat> and, and, and if you don't have a red-letter edition of the Bible, that's fine. That's not necessarily uh, the... the <laughs> that, that's, that's not what makes it inspired, okay? It's all God's words. We understand that. But if you have a, a red-letter edition of your Bible, you may notice that, that that sentence, My grace is sufficient for me. That quote may be in red letters. How many of you have that in your Bible? All right. Okay. And again, if you don't, that, that doesn't make... Uh, as long as it's King James Bible, that doesn't make your Bible any less. Okay. But you know, it, understand something. That's a quote. That's Jesus' words, right? Now, wait a minute. It came from the same person, talking about the thorn now. It came from the same person that Paul met on the road to Damascus. Or that statement did, rather. The statement, my grace is sufficient for thee. Hey, that's the same voice that Paul heard way back in Acts chapter 9 when he said, Hey, Paul, or Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? The point is this, the same Jesus that saved Paul way back on the road to Damascus was the same Jesus who said, Paul, I can sustain you through this thorn. May I say to you this morning, the same Jesus that saved you from the fires of hell, if you're saved, is the same Jesus who can sustain you through whatever it is you're facing this morning. Whatever it is, whatever your thorn is, whatever, whether it's a physical thorn, a physical ailment, whether it's something uh, in, in a relationship, whatever it is, hey, I'm simply saying, why don't we rest in the fact that God said, my strength is made perfect in your weakness. You see, <clears throat> we think that we ought to have strength. God said, I want you to depend upon me. 
Uh, the same Jesus that saved you and me is the same Jesus that promises to sustain us. We never read about Paul complaining about being in prison. That's interesting, isn't it? You think about Paul's life and the bad things that happened to him. Never one time that I recall reading in Scripture where Paul complained about being shipwrecked. Not once. In all the events and stories surrounding Paul, you read through the last several chapters of the book of Acts and all through the Pauline epistles, Never once do I ever recall Paul complaining about being stoned and left for dead. I don't, re- I don't remember or recall him complaining about his, uh, uh, his doing without or sleeping under the stars because there's no place to stay or, or being imprisoned or suffering persecutions. But here we see that Paul learned a lesson from this thorn in the flesh that he didn't get from those other things. He learned that God's strength is shown best in our lives when we are at our weakest. At our weakest. Jesus said to Paul, he said, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. He said, because my strength, he said, you really want me to flex my muscles for you, Paul? Hey, then you got to get weak. And Paul, I happen to know that this thorn in the flesh is going to weaken you physically so that whatever's accomplished in your life, I'm going to get the glory for it, Paul, because my strength is made perfect. My strength is completed. My strength is matured in your weakness. By the way, same holds true for me and you. You say, Pastor, I don't know if I can make it. Oh, yes, you can. Oh, yes, you can. But it won't be in your strength. It'll be in his It'll be in his. Amen. Pastor, I'm facing a difficult set of circumstances. I don't know if I can make it or not. Oh, yes, you can. Because as the Apostle Paul would testify if he were here today, our, or, or our, uh, our weakness is the prerequisite for God to show himself strong on our behalf. The same Jesus that saved Paul, the same Jesus that saved you and me, is the same Christ that will sustain us. Paul said in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. What are you facing this morning? What is it that is your thorn? Why don't we decide to get the point of the thorn this morning? Why don't we decide that that thorn can teach us about pride and about keeping ourselves humble before the Lord? Why don't we let that thorn in our life, whatever negative circumstance it is, why don't we let it drive us to our knees and teach us some lessons about prayer? Why don't, we let, why don't we learn this morning that God doesn't want just to change our circumstances. God wants to change us. God wants you to come out on the other side of that thorn in the flesh, and he wants you to be a vessel that he can use in a mighty way. And he's trying to make you. He's trying to help you. He's trying to mold you. He's trying to make you. He's trying to bring you to a point in your life where he gets more glory, not less glory. And then why don't we understand that the good God of heaven allows thorns in our lives so that he can teach us about his strength and his power. You see... If God can save my never-dying soul, what could he not do for me? You ever think about that? As we wrap this up this morning, if God can save my never-dying soul, if I can trust God with the most precious possession that I have, and that's my soul, that's my eternal destiny. The day that I trusted Christ as my Savior, I got down on my knees and I said, God, I can't save myself. God, I can't work my way to heaven. God, I can't, I can't do enough good works to get there. I can't, uh, nothing is going to take me to heaven except for Jesus Christ. He's the only way. Amen. And I entrusted to Jesus 
my never-dying soul, the most precious possession that I have. Now, let me ask you a question. If we can do that, what could you not trust God with in your life? I mean, if, you, if you're given the most precious thing you have, why not throw in your necktie? Why not throw in your car? It doesn't run half the time anyway. <laughs> I'm being facetious. Uh, some of you may say amen to that. But anyway, uh, what could you not give to God? What, what could you not entrust to God's care in your life? You see, I know some people, they have given God their never-dying soul. They've entrusted their soul to Christ, but they don't trust God with their relationships. They don't trust God with their time or their talents or their treasures. They don't trust God with their employment. They don't trust God with all of the minutia of life, and yet they have given God their never-dying soul. That doesn't make sense to me. Let's be reminded that the same God who saved us is able to sustain us. Hey, if God can save my soul, what would he not do for me? Look, there are folks in this room who need just that. They, you need God to save your soul. There are some folks in this room this morning, you need the same thing that Paul got on the road to Damascus. You need for God to come and do something for you that you can't do for yourself, and that is simply this, take you to heaven. Because I got news for you. On the authority of that book right there, you can't take yourself to heaven. If you're depending on you to get to heaven, you're going to be sorely disappointed one day. Oh, pastor, I'll have you know I'm a good person. I don't doubt that at all. I said it yesterday. Hell will be populated by good people. Good people. Oh, pastor, I'll have you know uh, that uh, I, give, uh, I give charitable funds to, uh, to uh, I give money to charitable organizations, and I do this for these folks, and, and uh, I, I'm filled with good deeds. That's wonderful. But wait a minute. That won't get you one step closer to heaven than what you are right now, because the Bible says it's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. He saved us. Some of you in this room this morning, you need somebody who has no sins of his own, to save you from a lake of fire. You say, Pastor, somebody with no sins of his own? Who is that? His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. You know, I can't save you. The priest across the street, he can't save you. The Pope can't save you. The president can't save you. I don't care who it is or how powerful he is or how, how wonderful you may think he or she may be. They can't save you. Why? Because they have sins of their own. But there was a day in Paul's life when he looked up to heaven and he said, Jesus... I'll do whatever. Hey, Jesus, what would I have me to do? And there was a day when Paul, by faith, put his trust in the only one who can save anyone. His name is Jesus Christ. There's some folks in this room. You need to do that. There's some Christians in this room. You've already done that. But you have a hard time trusting the one who saved you with your thorn. You're having a hard time trusting the one that you have given your never-dying soul to. You're having a hard time trusting him with all the other details of your life. How silly is that? How silly is that? You know, you're going through this problem in your life, and why don't you take it to God? Why don't you let Him to determine whether to take away the thorn or to give you the grace to sustain you through the trial? By the way, He'll do one or the other. He'll either take away the thorn, or He'll say, look, like I said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you because my strength is made perfect in your weakness. Why don't you just trust me? Hey, the answer whether you're saved or lost, is to, if you're lost, trust God with your soul. If you're saved, trust God with your thorn. Our heads are bowed. Our eyes are closed. 
Every head's bowed, every eye's closed.